Before we start the episode with Coach Dave Crook, just wanted to say thank you to all our sponsors, Parkside Brewing, ATO B-Ball, and PGC Basketball. Without you guys and your support, I'd have to dig into my own wallet <laughs> and help get this podcast going. Um, if anybody out there is interested in sponsoring and partnering with us, give us a shout, send us a DM, send us an email at a oopsjourney at gmail.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe and share the word. Dave Crook, legendary coach, been around a long time, since 1978, I believe. And kind of a, a full circle journey for him, starting in the Winnipeg, Westman area and finding himself back being athletic director. Many different roles across Canada at the U sport level. He probably actually has seen U Sports, CIS, and CAAU, um, which is not a shot at his age, just as it is as ex his experience. Um, and just a really good guy, a guy that I think a lot of people would have liked to have played for. Um, great episode, lots of great insight, lots of good laughs and stories, and more to come. As usual, thanks for tuning in. If you have questions, comments, please reach out and enjoy this episode. Ladies and gentlemen, episode 114, if you can believe people are still listening. Um, and if you've made it this far, you'll want to tune in today. Um, when I text this gentleman, I said what Michael Grange wants, Michael Grange gets, but uh, he's definitely been a guy that we've had on the radar for for a while now and um, happy that he was able to uh, come back from the lake for the weekend and live in the good life and, and sit down with us. A guy who kind of like when you know and read about his story is almost full circle here um, in terms of starting and where he is right now, finding himself as the uh, athletic director uh, at the University of Winnipeg. Um, has to look over a couple guys that I know in Larkins and Rainbow. Poor man, that would be enough to make me want to retire. But uh, <laughs> between that, everywhere in between, um, like I said at the start, you know, I think you've probably seen CIAU, CIS, and U Sport, all three. Uh, we have none other than Mr. Dave Crook with us today. How are you, sir? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm really excited uh, for the opportunity. Cool. Um, and we're excited for you to share your story and just chat a little more. Um, you know, I know listening to Michael's episode was kind of humbling for you. And, and uh, you know, I think as a coach and someone, when you're connected with people and you kind of, you don't take the time for yourself to pause and think about the impact that you've really had on people. And um, just talk about just maybe hearing that and what that felt like. I'm sure maybe he said it before, but I think for him to express it that way was pretty cool because clearly you had a major impact on his life and you look at his career and how he's panned out. Um, just a solid human being who's still helping grow the game through his talents. So how did that feel? And um, and how's life for you these days? Well, it was crazy. Uh, you know, at the end, you know, he, he talks about the people are influential in his life. And he talks about his wife, who's fair and is amazing. Mm -hmm. And then he lists me next. And I'm sort of like, you know, in, I don't know, I'm just taken aback. Right? I, I, I don't even know how to express it. It was, you know, really emotional, but Michael and I are very close and we've been close for a long, long time. And it's, you know, fantastic. And I remember right at the start when you had Barnaby on and Barnaby <laughs> said a lot of the same sort of things, right? And you sort of go, and this is, it's a strange thing about this business, right? Because we often talk about 
um, you know, you don't remember the wins and you don't remember the losses. You don't remember this and you don't remember that. And some of that's BS, right? We do remember some <laughs> of those things. But what, because you do, right? And you carry mm-hmm. those things with you. But what you truly treasure are the relationships and are the people, right? And, and that connection you have. And, you know, I mean, you know, I, I coach Barnaby starting in like 94, right? I yeah, think. Yeah, about that. And, yep. and we, like, we literally talk every week right? Still yeah. to this day, right? And, you know, guys from Lethbridge who I literally talk to um, weekly, you know, same thing. And, you know, Grange, we don't talk as much as we used to. We used to talk weekly and now we talk less, but we still communicate. I just saw him. I was in Toronto, you know, a month and a half ago. Um, so yeah, those relationships are, you know, you know, critically important uh, mm-hmm. to, you know, to who we are, I think. And, and in the end, they, it really is the reason that when you reflect on 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 your career and what you've done, those are the things that are really, you know really really important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. You know, and That's yeah, sure. and my and my life's great. I got a I got a great life. You know, I'm I'm in a it's a weird situation, right? I grew up in Winnipeg, inner city, lousy. You know, I mean, I was one of those jack of all trades, master of none type of guys. Came to the <laughs> University of Winnipeg as a student. Um, <laughs> you know, didn't know where I was going to go. And then ended up, uh, you know, spending some time with Bruce Sands and then, you know, ended up becoming a basketball coach. And, and now here I am years later, you know, as the athletic director at the University of Winnipeg. And maybe I'll talk a little bit about that path at some point. But, yeah, it's a, it's a crazy story, but it's a it's a great story. Yeah, good. And how was the lake this weekend? Weather been good out there? Okay, it wasn't as warm yeah. as I was hoping, but it was still nice. It was like 25, 26 and got in the water a few times and rode the bike and grilled the steak you know so it wasn't so bad there you go my wife's yeah. uh my wife's from saskatoon yeah and slash prince albert so they've got a place northern north of pa right. called Can- candle lake yeah and i swear every year we go people are like oh it's been you know it doesn't matter we've tried everywhere yeah. between july and august everywhere yeah. like you yeah. name a week we've tried it people, oh it's <laughs> been it's been 40 degrees and then we get there we get we get half a lake day on the boat and then it yeah. just starts gets super cold and i'm like they're lying to me out here, I swear. Uh, but yeah. no, no, it's no. it's it's good living though. Even if the weather's not great, you're on the lake and oh, it's it's a yeah. good time. Yeah. Yeah. It's wonderful. For sure. Good. Pretty lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's go, let's go back, man. Let's talk about that. Talk about yourself as a as a young guy. And you've already mentioned Bruce, obviously, but before that, kind of you know, the long, younger life for yourself growing up and yeah. why basketball was even a thing for you. Well, I, I mean, I grew up in a sport family and I love sports and and I love playing sport and my brothers were older than me about uh, eight and 11 years. So it's like I had three dads in a way, but these two young, two brothers and, you know, they got me engaged and they exposed me to things that a lot of young guys wouldn't be exposed to. And, and, um, you know, and, and, and there's two sort of things I think that are critical. One was, you know, coaching was a weird part of my life, right? When I was 12 years old, I coached my first team as a nine-year-old soccer team because there was a, you know, a house league soccer league that didn't have a coach. And if they didn't have a coach, they couldn't play. And I was playing uh, little league baseball. So then I started, I coached this nine-year-old soccer team and I'd never played soccer in my life to that point. Right. (laughs) But I coached this team at 12, you know, and then at 14, I coached little league baseball and at 16, I coached Bantam football. And at 18, I coached, uh, you know, my high school basketball team. So, my whole life has been coaching, right? Mm-hmm. That's all I've done in my whole my whole life. 
And in my grade eight yearbook, my ambition in life, and, I'm, and I think I was either to be the manager or the head coach of the Canadian uh, national basketball team, because at the time, John Restivo, who later was a coach and coached at Ottawa U for a long time, and, and uh, he was Jack Donahue's manager, and he was my brother's best friend. So I got exposed to the national team when, when Jack did some camps here in Winnipeg. I got to go shag basketballs, you know, at the East Gym, Bison East at U of M. And uh, so, you know, to have that in my grade eight yearbook is my ambition is to, you know, <laughs> you know, be with the Canadian national team. And then actually to have that experience happen decades later, it's crazy. So, yeah. So coaching was always a part of it. And basketball, mm. I just love basketball, right? And I mean, I was, I mean, I played in high school and I was not very good and I was an <laughs> undersized post, but I mean, I'm six, I was like six feet in high school, but I've got a six, six wingspan. So even though we didn't understand those kind of things then, um, <laughs> I've got long arms. So I was, you know, adequate, bad senior men's player. And, but I loved the game, <laughs> played a ton of pickup. I'd come to the U of W and play all the time. And when I was really young, like, uh, I don't know, maybe like 1970. So I was about 12. Like I used to go to watch the Bisons play all the time at Bison East, right? And I lived across town and it would be an hour bus and two transfers for me to get there. But I'd sometimes go by myself, you know, across mm -hmm. town to go watch the Bisons play in the, in the heyday, you know, and that's like Bob Town and Ted Stowe's and Daryl Rumsey. And they were, you know, that was an amazing team. And then Martin Riley and that group, and they were national champions. So like I was a hundred percent a Bison guy my whole life, mm -hmm. and then it turns out now that you know I went to UFW, became a you know they hated West the Wessies as we were then, <laughs> and then ended up working with Bruce, you know, coaching here, and then full circle coming back, you know, becoming head coach and then AD now. It's a pretty crazy story. Yeah, it's awesome. What was it early on? Was it the competitive spirit? Was it the like you say you never had anything to do with soccer? Was it? just your mind wanting to learn the game and see the kids grow or was it a yeah. combo of it all? Like what, you know, what was it that was so, was, cause I mean, was, that's like, you're making a great point in terms of like to sign your grade eight yearbook. Like I was like, I'm going to play for the LA Lakers and have a mansion, you know, like that was my yeah. goal, you know? Yeah. And you're like, no, I'm going to coach the national team. Like what? That's pretty I unique, think, right? Yeah. I, I just think it was part of, I, I like the idea. I mean, I never saw myself as being a great athlete, right? Mm -hmm, I never mm -hmm. saw my, but I love sports so much that I wanted to find a way to be involved and to give back, right? Mm -hmm. And and I was lucky enough to have all these great mentors in my life, my two older brothers, and then people who I, um, who who were teachers and coaches, and they just influenced my life and they made me realize how important coaching is and how important it was to give back to sport. And then coming to the U of W, you know, as a, as a freshman, I took Bruce's, you know, he taught two basketball courses back then. I took both of them. Um, probably, you, know, you, get, you get credits for I, both too. Yeah. And I, and they oh, were nice. the best, best courses of my academic life. Right. <laughs> I was, I wasn't a highly motivated student, but I did really well in his classes <laughs> and I don't know why, but he took a, a, a shine to me. And mm. uh, so even in, and, you know, I used to go to all the games and I was totally engaged and I was going to high school games and I was coaching high school. So then uh, he asked me to do some scouting for him. So I did some scouting where I, you know, I jump in the car, drive to Brandon, go watch somebody come back, you know, give him a scouting report. And I did that a bunch of times. And I, you know, I, and so I, I loved the game. I'd been around the game, but I wasn't technically 
I mean, I didn't know UCLA high post from, you know, from, you know, whatever flex, you know, I, I didn't know technical terms and things, but I, so Bruce used me to scout, but, and, you know, I don't, I don't, it sounds braggy, but like he told me just this past winter when I was talking to him, cause we were talking about rainbows team and what they're doing. And he, you know, was talking about some things and he said, uh, in the end, or maybe he told rainbow this, like just ask Crookie to do it. Cause Crookie's the best scout I've ever seen. Right. Mm-hmm. And I just had an eye for the game an eye for patterns and, and movement. And, you know, it was almost like I could tell what was going to happen next without even ever having seen it happen. Does that make sense? You know, absolutely. It so does. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just had a, 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 that I could just see that side of the game. So one day I was playing racquetball downstairs in, in the, in the old, uh, in Riddell hall. And Bruce came in and came to the viewing area and asked me to come upstairs to see him. So I went up to see him. He asked me to join his staff, said, start as manager, work your way up, do all these things. So I went in, worked with him. The next year, he moved me into, you know, a a position. And then by my third year with him, I was doing all the individual stuff. And I did it again. And I got and I stopped being a student where Mm -hmm. I was just now working only with the basketball team. I was making about, you know. 400 bucks a year or whatever it was but that's that's because then i figured out at that point that's what i wanted to do i wanted to be a basketball coach and i just had blind faith that it would happen Mm. and you know i i worked with bruce for four years as an assistant and then applied for a couple jobs and and one year i got um two interviews and i got hired and i was 25 years old and uh you know I'm, i'm living in i grew up in sort of inner city on the edge of inner city winnipeg and I get this job in New Brunswick, and all of a sudden, I'm flying across the country to go to Mount A and be the head basketball coach at 25. That's absolutely crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, at this point, they're not looking for like um, level three certification or anything. Hey, it's you know. Kinda... I don't even think I don't even think the certification NC, NC was a thing. That ha- maybe the one and two had happened. There certainly mm-hmm. wasn't level three yet because mm-hmm. I was actually part of the first technical level three class in Canada, Bob Bain ran it out of York University and I went and did that uh, that class. So I was like one of the first people in the country to have the technical basketball level three, which is pretty weird. But uh <laughs> but yeah, so it was uh it was a crazy story. And like the first two years I coached the Mount A, I coached guys who were older than me. Yeah. Right? Like you know, athletes sure. who were older than me as a 25 year old. And, and uh <laughs> you know and, and that program was a like it was a really interesting experience for me. For one thing mm-hmm moving from Winnipeg to Sackville, New Brunswick, like 1800 residents. Yeah. So, you know, like, like I, total, I, total, right. So yeah. I go to this tiny little town and there's nothing there. And, uh, and you know, Atlantic Canada was way different than it, it is even now. Right. And, and, and being there was a strange, I remember when I moved there in the summer and I still used to drink, I don't want it anymore. And I remember I went to the the liquor store one day and they had a sign up and it said, because for the first time ever, they had beer from Ontario. They had upper Canadian beer. And there was a sign on the wall. And if I had a phone like we do now, we take pictures of things. But there was a, like a sign somebody had written that said upper Canadian beer, right? Yeah. Because they still called it upper Canada, right? Or how they referred to it, even though it was lower Canada. But they referred to it as upper Canada, which was bizarre, right? Yeah. Like for a guy from Winnipeg, this was bizarre. Yeah, for sure. But it was fun. And Mount A was great. And I had some really good experiences. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my first year... I don't think they'd won a game in three years when I got there or the 88 losses in a row or something. I go in my first year and we win, you know, nine games in the league, beat three teams ranked number one in the country, you know, and 
you know, my poop didn't stink, right? Like I was yeah, like a yeah. genius. I, you know, it's <laughs> been, especially in my mind, right? Like I was like a really good coach. We made it to 11th in the top 10 poll. You know, we were going to be pretty good. And, and if we, and we, got, we, we lost the PEI who had been ranked number one. I think they were in the top two or three. And then in the playoffs, on a tough call that a, I don't want to mention this name, a guy who's still around, who's a referee who I know really well, who we talk about this call every time I see him. He's admitted to me he made an error, and that cost us the game. And, you know, we win that game. We're going to nationals. So my first year, I'd be going to nationals with, you know, it was a crazy story. But in the end, you know, I then took my lumps for the next few years. I mean, that league was a good league then, and, Mm -hmm. you know, still is now. But, I mean, we're Dave Nutbrown, Steve Kachalski, uh, uh, um, uh, you know, Morrison's, uh, yep. uh, you know, it, it was, a, it dad, was a, yeah. yeah, it was a, like, that was a league. Doc Ryan was coaching Adele. Like it was tough. Don Nelson at UNB and not Brown was long around that long. Hey, not Brown. And not Brown yeah. was an unbelievable coach. People who don't know yeah. about Dave, Dave was an unbelievable coach. Yeah. And he recruited I, me a bit when I was at Langara. Yeah. Maybe the best recruiter in the country ever. Mm. Handwritten mm-hmm. notes to everybody, like he was unbelievable. Yeah. But he, uh, and he was a heck of a coach. And defensively, maybe the best defensive coach I've ever seen. People talk about other guys, but Nut Brown was unbelievable. So anyway, so I remember yeah. beating him when I beat him the first time. And the only time I beat him, I think. And it was, <laughs> man, it was a, it was unbelievable. It was one of the most memorable games that I've ever been involved in. And, uh, and they were pretty pissed. <laughs> they were pretty pissed that we beat them. What can we say about the people at Parkside, especially our guy, Sam Payne, a huge supporter of basketball in our community. The gentleman does many things behind the scenes that people don't know about. And one of those is supporting our podcast from literally day one. Sam reached out to us and said, hey, I like what you're doing. How do we get involved? And what you can do is find them at any local government store or come down to the brewery sit on the patio, sit in the back, listen to the music, come for music trivia night, whatever it is. The wide variety of beer that they offer is second to none. And Port Moody in the Brewer's Row is a great place to be. We are so appreciative of Parkside Brewery, we can't even say it in enough words. Head down, we hope to see Parkside. And if you can't, find a way to support because they do a lot for us. Cheers. So I'm wondering, I'm wondering, yeah. Yeah. 25, yeah. what are the things that you're taking from Bruce? What are the things that you've learned on your own? And you're starting out as a coach here. What have, are you just going for it and kind of learning every day? What, you know, what are yeah. the foundations that you're using? Um, Cause I mean, that's a young age and you're still so young into the coaching game as well. Yeah. Right. Everything was, I mean, I was, I sort of like, and this is an important, that's, that's, this, this is a, question is going to lead me somewhere important i think is that <laughs> bruce had been my mentor and i'd learned basically everything i knew about basketball from him to this point right right i mean i liked the game and i was a student of the game and i read things and went to clinics and did stuff but i was so into what he was doing right and at that point really when he when he pushed forward with that whole conceptual motion and uh you know that type of basketball and looking at basketball differently right the players were the runners the coaches wear shoes 
So the players have to learn to make decisions. So your job is to teach them to make the right decisions at the right time. Right. So that was a foundation. And that's the foundation of how I've coached my entire career. But part of the other thing was, you know, when I first started coaching, I made decisions based on things Bruce had done and not that I would do. And part yeah, of that sure. was because I didn't know any better, right? I thought because he sure. did that, that's what we should do. But one of the things that I learned was I needed to take the foundations and the things that Bruce had done, but then I had to match that to my own personality. I couldn't just be a mini Bruce. I had to be Dave with, mm-hmm. with the foundations of the things that he had taught me. And that's when I became a better coach. But that happened as I got more experience than I did other things, right? And then I got, so then, you know, Mount A dropped the program. I was, I didn't know what I was going to do. And Yeah, I was going to say, that's crazy, I, I, right? What do you, like, how many years are you at Mount A? Four or five? Five, five. Yeah, yeah. And, then they, and then, all right, we're just no longer going to have this program. And, right. <laughs> and it was weird. I was in, because I'd been in, I'd been in Victoria. So they used to have a program called the High Performance Initiative that Ken Shields had done. And it was a mm-hmm. great opportunity for coaches. I got to go to like, the first two and then I went to others after and so they would bring in 10 coaches we'd be at national team camp we'd watch the camp plus we would get instruction from coaches and then guest coaches he brought in you know and there were some people he brought in that were amazing you know Rick Majerus and uh you know uh Del Harris and it like it was an unbelievable opportunity plus we got to share knowledge with each other sure. right so that was amazing for me so I was actually at the high performance when it came out of the paper that I'd lost my job. And when I'd left, they were dropping hockey. Right. And I knew that. So I went out to the high performance and then the hockey coach, while I was gone, worked his magic. And they, by the time I got back, they dropped basketball. So then I, you know, I was out of luck. I didn't have a job. You're thinking, sweet, we can use that hockey money and have have (laughs) more money for basketball, right? That's sweet sweet hockey money to run basketball. (laughs) Yeah. So, so then I was, you know, I was going to, I didn't know what I was going to do. Tim Darling was at Guelph. So I thought, well, maybe Tim wanted me to come and help him. So I was going to go to Guelph and, you know, do some things. And so I packed up all my stuff in a U-Haul and literally started driving to Ontario. And I drove to, you know, my my girlfriend at the time was living in Montreal. I stopped and saw her, drove to uh, uh, Guelph, unloaded my stuff in a garage. And I was actually going to be roommates with Chris O'Rourke. No way. This is a true story. Yeah, this is pretty (laughs) funny because O'Rourke and I, you know, I end up teaming up together later. So anyways, I go back to Toronto. I'm staying with my aunt. And I knew that the Lethbridge job was open. And I knew that they were interested in me. But they, I think they didn't want to spend the money to bring me out unless they knew they were going to give me the job. Mm. So they offered the job to Mike Havy. And Havy turned them down. Havy ended up later at Windsor. He's an Ontario guy. He was in Medicine Hat College at the time. So he turned them down. So then I think they weren't happy with their other candidates. So they, this is like, the, I don't know, August 30th. And <laughs> they, they contact me and say, can you fly out? And I said, sure. So this is, they call me on Tuesday, I think. Wednesday, I book a ticket. Thursday, I fly to uh, Lethbridge. I interview Friday. Saturday, I stop in Winnipeg on the way home, see my mom. Fly back to Toronto on Sunday. Monday is Labor Day. And so they're going to, they said they, they give me the decision Monday. Well, I don't get a decision. I don't realize it's Labor Day. They, they probably forgot. So Tuesday morning, bang, a fax comes to my aunt's house. I got a fax. It's a contract. Mm-hmm. They basically offer me uh, 
30%, more than 30% more than I was making at uh, Mount A. So, I mean, I signed, I mean, I could, I mean, they thought they were getting me for a steal. I was like, my God, I just tripled my third 30% more of my salary. This is yeah. pretty amazing. Got the job. <laughs> so I went back to Guelph, got my stuff, loaded it back up. And that was like Tuesday or Wednesday. And then Thursday I started driving and I drove to uh, partway. And then I got to Winnipeg like Saturday. And then Sunday I got up and drove to Lethbridge and Monday I went to work. And that was a week <laughs> after Labor Day. And that's when I started my job. And I lived in a hotel for a month. And, you know, that was it. That was the beginning of my years in Lethbridge and 12 years there. And that community couldn't have been better for me. And, and the experiences I had there couldn't have been, you know, any better for a young coach. Were you required, required to teach there as well? Or did you just start as, yeah. yeah. No, okay. I taught there. So I was teaching either two or three classes a semester there too, which was crazy. So Were there enough dudes to fill a roster like how what does that look like okay, you so, had to pulse make some calls and see you could pull in last minute like so i get there like school's already started for a week when i get there yeah and so i have i just i get there monday i think tuesday i just had a trial and yeah. 12 12 guys rolled into the gym right yeah and that's that's all we had and, and <laughs> like and, and this was this was crazy and one of the guys who tried out hadn't started on his high school team but what was I going to do? Like, yeah, you can't yeah. have, I just thought you had to have 12 bodies like, to start with. So we literally <laughs> had a guy who hadn't started his high school team playing for us, right? There'd been no recruiting. Nothing had been done. We had decent talent, you know, but there was a real schism on the team. It was a strange time. Olenek mm -hmm. had been there the year oh. before. He'd been, he'd been on sabbatical. And yeah. and him and Vitri were helping Shields in, in, uh, in Victoria. And mm -hmm. then Shields took Vitri. So Vitri left Sask. And Ken went to Toronto, and that's why the Lethbridge job opened because Ken went to Toronto. And uh, so, yeah, so I had this team, and we worked hard, and there wasn't really a schedule for the priest. Like it was a bizarre time, but we put it <laughs> together, and um, we, you know, we we worked hard, and I got the guys to believe. And remember, the first game we opened, we get UBC at home with Bruce, right? So now here it is, my first ever Canada West game, and I'm coaching against the guy who taught me everything I know about basketball. Yeah, and we play them. And you have a guy who didn't even start on his high school. Season. Yeah, we well, yeah, we, we have a few guys who can't play at all. Yeah. Anyway, so we, and they're, I think they're, they're like one, two, three in the nation. Like they're, you know, they're pretty good. So we come out and we're up at the half and we come out and we're up with like two minutes to go. Like we led the whole way and we're playing amazing. And there's a, we get up one and it, we're, we're up one with about, 40 seconds or 30 seconds left you know we, even though we don't remember games you know and of course yeah <laughs> we're, we're running our full court offense and the guys are scared they're absolutely scared and they all bail out and leave a guy stranded in the you know in the backcourt there's no reversal point guard turns it over um who is it uh johansson gets a steal layup anyways travels I could lose my mind. The referees then weren't giving me anything because it was my first year. I got six technicals at home that year for one thing, because they were teaching me a lesson that, you know, to behave and be a good boy. And he makes the layup. We lose after being up the whole game. The guys, basically all the belief, all the good work, everything I had done for like six or seven weeks to get them together, just fracture. And it's a miserable season. We end up 
we beat Sask like three times or something. And so I think we were like three and 17 or four and 16. Sask is like, I don't know if they won a game because we beat them. I don't think they beat anybody else. So it was a pretty tough. And like that was a pretty good league then, right? I mean, absolutely. You know, so it was tough, you know, and I, you know, I didn't really know what I was in for. But then, you know, we worked at it and worked at it and just tried to get better in the local talent. And finally, you know, we cracked the local market. Tim Rawlingson was the first big star I got out. And then we just kept developing and building. And in the end, we got to be pretty good at two 30 win seasons back to back. And that was pretty awesome. And, you know, uh, got Barnaby, had a really good run, you know, with, with him. I had a you know run of all Canadians, Danny Balderson, who was player of the year in the country, Spencer Hall, you know, so it was fun. And we won a lot of games to the point where, you know, I remember uh, in my second last year there, like we played a playoff game where we sold out in 20 minutes, right? Like wow. we, like where people were scalping. I mean, and this is hard to imagine in the nineties in, in, in Canada, there were scalpers scalping tickets outside the Lethbridge gym for our games against Alberta in the final, right? Like it was awesome. But Southern Alberta, it's just a wild place, right? Like yeah, basketball community. Yeah. Are you suggesting at one point back there that uh, maybe when you played in Lethbridge, you may have got a few calls? Is that once things were established? It, well, just your teams, yeah. Well, my teams. Yeah. You know, okay, we, we always, we always. I, I don't want to say we pretended, but we always once, felt that we you, never did. We always felt that we never did. Come on, did. I played at Brandon, man. But, but, Let's not fool oh, ourselves. No, yeah. But, but, but over time you real, you know, you know that you, you know, you do, but you know, you don't like to, you never want to admit it. Right. Like you yeah. never want to admit it. And, um, and I fought with those guys hard, but you know, it's funny. Cause I think, I mean, I, I never got kicked out of a game in my entire career. Right. Mm. And I went 12 seasons without getting a technical on the road, 12 years That's on, pretty on, good. The road, on, on the road. Right. But that's good. You're in Winnipeg where I got six. You're in Lethbridge where I got six. Because, I mean, the local guys got sick of my antics, I think, a little bit, you know. And I could be a pain in the butt, you know. And I talked way too much. I, but, you know, that's just who I was. And you can see that I talked too much because I, I won't shut up in, on this either. But, but let's just say that Lethbridge was a great place and it was wonderful yeah. for me. I coached a lot of great guys there. We had a lot of good teams. I had a guy named Chris Orr who, if he hadn't blown his knee, um, would have, I mean, he was impactful for us, but it would have, I mean, we were sending him to the national camp. He was going in, he tore his ACL mm. and then he played with the brace for the rest of his career. Six ten athlete kid that I eats from Northern Alberta came down for a tryout was this geeky looking guy comes in the gym with a you know, parka and, and I'm looking <laughs> at him going, what am I getting here? And then yeah. all of a sudden this six ten monster emerges and just became a, you know, a, a, a phenom and, and, if we hadn't lost or uh, that team would have been, I mean, we were pretty good as it was, but with him, mm -hmm. he was, he was a special player. Mm -hmm. And then over those years there, I mean, getting to know the community and building the program and things like that, how does your coaching philosophy or style change? What did you adjust? Um, I always viewed you in the teams that I saw. I, would, I think you were more of like a player's coach. Actually, I was listening to a yeah. podcast today with Ty Lue. And it's pretty funny. And he says, yeah, I know they, they call me a player's coach, but those are usually the guys that are playing, right? There's some guys who played for me who wouldn't think I was you know, a great sure. guy. But, um, but at the same time, 
I think I was a player's coach because I think I, that my philosophy and my understanding of the game is the players have to make decisions, right? Mm. Players have to play. So you have to put them in positions where they can be successful, right? I think that's one of the keys. And so part of it was, you know, creating an environment where they wanted to play and they wanted to be happy, but also at the same time trying to teach them, right? So we never ran a lot of set stuff. We had some sets as I got older and I got more experienced and I learned more about basketball and some of that through the national team. And hopefully we'll talk about that stuff. Mm -hmm. But, you know, a big part of it was put them in positions, teach them to make the right decision and, and, you know, encourage them to make decisions and to make plays and to expand their individual skill package so they get better and better and better. Right. I think that's one of the things that I tried to do with guys, you know, and when, you know, Part of it is, you know, we always talk about coaching trees and who's under, you know, a tree. And, you know, I've had a lot of guys who've done things. But when I look at, in my time at Lethbridge, the two guys who I was closest to, you know, one was Barnaby, who's come on to be, you know, a much better coach than I ever will be. And has an <laughs> outstanding, you know, one of the best coaches in Canada. For sure. At the force level, for sure, without question. Yeah. You know, and then Mike, Mike Hansen, who coached at Lethbridge for a long time and did an amazing job there those guys were the closest to me of all the players who played for me there. They both went out to be youth sports coaches. Hanson came back and took my job at Lethbridge. And, you know, Hanson was a guy who I recruited from Stephenville, Newfoundland to play for me at Mount A, who then followed me to Lethbridge. Right. So awesome. to have, to have that happen. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think, I mean, you know, both Barnaby and Hanson, I think of them almost as my sons, like we're that close, mm-hmm. right? And that relationship yeah. I have with those two. So to have your two kids, in my mind, follow you into your profession, mm-hmm. that is important as anything. Yeah, that's amazing. Love that. Yeah. Um, so you're, yeah, I think you're a little ahead of your time and sort of that philosophy of sort of let them, let's create a scenario where they feel comfortable to make mistakes. And, and then, so what's your approach? And this is a selfish coaching question. Mm-hmm. At, what's your approach when you do see the mistakes happen? Are you a like, let's sub them out and chat kind of guy? Is it, let's just pull them over. How many no, mistakes are they allowed to make? Like what's, you know, I think it's great. I agree. I agree. I've learned. I mean, I'm still got years to go, but it took yeah. me a long time to get to that point where I was like, yeah, let these kids play a little bit, right? They got to figure yeah. some stuff out for themselves, right? Yeah, that's yeah. really critical. And I think part mm-hmm. of it is, you know, you can't do much in games anyways, right? I sure. mean, all you do and all you do by subbing them on in games is you're wrecking their confidence. The yeah. teaching has to the teaching has to happen in practice, right? Sure. Now, the rope is different, right? The rope mm-hmm. for Barnaby Craddock would be different than the rope for another guy, right? Yeah, 100%. The rope for Earth Ur- was a lot Ooh. different than somebody else, right? There's like, a name yeah, like you let those guys, yeah. I mean, those guys, you let them do what they do, right? Yeah. And, you know, you communicate in your relationship with them is different, right? And I used to say to people, like, I would tell players flat out when they came to play for me, like, I never tr- treat, I will not treat you equally because you don't want to be treated equally. Like, you think you do, but it's not equality. What you want is fairness. You want to be treated fairly because you're not all equal. Because if I treat you all the same, then I'm not really treating you fair. Yeah, you're right. not coaching. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's not about equality. It's about fairness. Mm. And you treat them fair based on what they bring, what they've done, and, and what they're going to do, right? So mm. it's, all, it's, it's under that umbrella that you make your decisions around things. And I, my big thing in, in teaching was in practice, right? It was always about stopping things in practice, 
putting people back into positions. And this is where I'm sort of lucky. And I'm not saying I have a photographic memory, but I can remember where people should and should or should should or were. Put mm-hmm. them back, put them through a situation, walk them through the decision they made, walk them through the decision they should make, and then do it live from there. And mm-hmm. it, that was a big part of my teaching process. And I think that's a big part of when you're running that conceptual motion and that those actions where it's all about read and react that's what you need to do right and you need to shape you know you need to shape it that way so that was a big part of my coaching and a you know, part of my coaching style was all we, we played a lot every day right mm. and you know we did our we did some breakdown but even all our breakdown like people are always asking me about drills oh coach you got drills i don't really have drills because mm-hmm. our drills are all breakdowns of how we play Right. So we did very little actual drill work where you would what you would consider doing drills. Mm. We had drills, but our drills were part of the breakdown of our offense, the breakdown of our defense. You know, and like one of the things that we did in, in I did in almost all the drill work we did, certainly when we had a defensive um, uh, component, is you would never just do one thing. Right. So you would stop something. So one on one in the wing but it would be one-on-one with the wing with the passer. So you'd stop a wing drive, the ball would get reversed. Now you have to rotate and stop a second person, right? Mm. So everything we did had a, a, I tried to make it as realistic to as how we played as possible, right? That was a big part of my teaching. Whatever you're doing right now, listening at work, rolling in your whip, walk, going for a walk, whatever it is, hang on for a sec. You like jerseys? You like stance socks? You like throwback? You like shoes? You like anything related to basketball? Hit up ATOB Ball. And if you're not able to be there in store at Langley Event Center, check them out on the web. And I guarantee you'll find something you like. Give us a mention and you'll never know. Shout out to our boy Jeff. ATOB Ball for life. Love it. Yes. Yeah. Free clinic today, too. Here we go. Um, okay, so like mid-90s, yeah. the grade eight yearbook yeah. starts to come yeah. to fruition for you here. Yeah. And and Canada comes calling. T- talk about sort of the how that came about um, and what it was like to be able to step in on those first few practices. I mean, you had some great memories getting a bronze medal. Um, yeah, some good stuff there, right? So yeah. talk about yeah. that. That's mind-blowing, right? So. Mm-hmm. Actually, 96 was my first one. Then for the next decade, I was with the national program. And I don't know, I had like 16 or 17 international trips, two world championships, two world university games, worked with, you know, junior men, young men, university men, senior men. I got to do sort of all of it, right? So, I mean, pretty amazing. And the kind Mm -hmm. of experience that guys just don't get any more at the U sports like that sort of was dried up a little bit, you know? So it all started with coach shields and the high performance stuff. And I got exposed to the national team and it was just so great. And then Olenek took me on his staff in 96 with the junior men with Peter Campbell and Peter and I would then spend five summers together because Peter moved into the head coaching role. And I worked with Pete for a long time. And, uh, yeah, it was unbelievable. My, the first team was young men, Maga Heinrichson, uh, Mavis, like that was a really good team. We went, we actually lost Novell Thomas on that team. Yeah. Was big Todd there? Todd was on that team. Yeah. And we played in, uh, we're in Puerto Rico for the qualifier. We'd done some stuff prior to that. 
Dave Morgan and was Dave Morgan there? Dave Morgan was on that. I team. played high school with Dave. Yeah, yeah, he was yeah. real good. He was yeah. real good. Started for us, yeah. and we lost to Argentina uh, in on the. They scored in the, the penultimate possession. We had the ball last possession. Score, we win. We qualify first. It would be you know the first time Canada's qualified to go to a, a age group championship, and we turn the ball over and we don't score. We lose. We end up not going and it was a heartbreaker and it was an amazing experience coach donahue was there it was like awesome right coach donahue was such a big figure in my life he'd been really impactful with me mm-hmm. uh I, I got to know him i got to do some things and he actually shows up like in the 80s a couple of times i remember walking on the street one day in toronto i hear coach coach i turn around it's it's coach donahue brings me over. I go for breakfast with him and his wife. Next thing you know, he invites me into camp. I spend a week with them at camp uh, every day before they went to the 88 Olympics when, you know, when Kachelski was on that staff. And like, so like, in, you know, I'm in the gym really. And it's the team. And, you know, like they have like 15 guys and their staff and me for a week. Right. And so like, that's an opportunity that people just don't get, you know, but so I've had some luck and I've had some breaks and, 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 and now it, this whole national team thing starts to happen. And then in 98, I'm with Kinchelski on the senior team. And we end up, you know, we're going to the world championships and that was pretty amazing. And, and that was a great summer. And I remember, you know, you talk about things. So our first trip was New Zealand, Australia, and we're, we're playing New Zealand in um, Hamilton was the first game, Hamilton, New Zealand. And then we went to Wellington. And we play them in Hamilton. And, uh, you know, they play the national anthem before the game. And I remember I was just bawling my eyes out. Like, it was mm-hmm. unbelievable to sit there and have the opportunity. Now I'm representing my country at the highest level. I'm coaching on the national team, which is something I've wanted to do my whole life. And uh, it was just unbelievable, an unbelievable experience. And that whole summer didn't go as well as we wanted, but it was a great opportunity. And then, uh, you know, the next summer, Jay came in and Jay took over the program and I got invited back. I was the only coach who came back from the summer before. Mm. And I worked with Peter on the, on the, on the uh, university games team in 99. And then 2000, we did the junior men 2001. We did the university games again, 2002. I got named head coach. I did juniors brought Chris O'Rourke onto my staff and then a bunch of other people came in and out of that staff. And then 03, we junior men, 04, young men, and then 05, young men world championships. And that's the the whole sort of the breadth of my, you know, my 10 years with the national team, all those different things. <clears throat> I've got a couple of great stories for you if you're okay. I was going to say, I was just going to say, other than that moment of the New Zealand and that yeah, yeah. hit, hit me with some good stuff here. Yeah. yeah. I got, I got, I got yeah. two, Interesting stories Let's that go. I think will, that people will under let people understand a little bit about international basketball and how different it is and and how spoiled we are in North America. Yeah, and both of them are the two great ones are in our Mexico stories. I got a lot of other ones that I can't tell on the yeah. podcast. I can tell to you off air sometime, but I, these are two I can tell. Okay. So ninety nine, we're on a tour of Mexico, and it's a bit of a renegade tour. We're going to the university games. Their university games team is not being run by their association. It's being run by this agent. And he's taken the team to Spain. We're going to Spain that summer. So we go on a tour of Mexico. We're going to uh, Guadalajara. Then we're going to Juarez. 
then we're in what I like to say, Chihuahua. We go to Chihuahua, and then we end up in Mexico City, right? So this this crazy tour through Mexico. Sure. And all kinds of stuff happens on this tour. But right at the start, first day, we get there. We're there for a day, and then we're going to <clears throat> in Guadalajara. We go to practice. So we go to practice in the afternoon, and it's in this hall. And it's like a big convention hall or something, and they've just hauled some seats in. But they've built like 5,000, um, you know, but yeah. not permanent seats in this building. Yeah. And we go in and, you know, it's a bit of a disaster and it's dark and there's birds all over the floor. There's birds flying around in the thing and stuff. And we're like, and, you know, it's it's really dirty and dingy. And they yeah. take me, so I'm the assistant, so I go out and they take me to the locker room. So we go into the locker room and it honestly <laughs> looks like a bomb had gone off, gone off, right? Like part of the wall has collapsed and there's it's and it's dirty. and I mean, I, I just use this word, I'll use it again. I don't like to swear on your podcast, but like there's literally, and I'm using literally in the literal way, not yes. figuratively, but lit, there's literally on the walls, right? And I say to the guy, like, we can't be in here. Like, this is like, yeah. this is a no-go. Like, we, there's no way that we're going to bring our team in this locker room. So there's a swimming pool about 150 meters down the road. And they take me there and it's in a different complex, but it's clean. It's a nice room. And I say, okay, we're, we're good here. So they go, okay. So we come back for the game at night and now it's like uh, just a zoo. And it's like a huge traffic jam. We get in, cops bring us in and the place is packed. There's like thousands of people in this building for this game and it's out of control. And we go, we, we, we go to the locker room, we come back in. So we walk off, you know, we come back into the gym and now the gym floor is just shiny and clean. Well, yeah, they cleaned it, but then I and I don't ask me why, Mitch, but they they'd oiled it. So it was like a bowling alley. So you literally <laughs> couldn't stand on the floor. Like it was just it was like a skating rink. So I go to the Mexican guys, I go, I go, listen, we can't, we can't play here. Like this is impossible. And, and then the crowd is, you know, crowd's going crazy and it's getting to be game time and they're getting antsy. And I say, we won't play in this environment. So they take out a bunch of towels and they towel the floor and they do all this stuff. And, they, you know, they stop and we go and it hasn't changed. It's exactly the same. And I say, no, we, we can't play here. So now they go and they get, you know, and this is all taking time, right? So now it's yeah. like game's supposed to tip off at seven. It's like 730 and, you know, the crowd is, you know, and we're, we're not going to play. So now they go out and these guys come back in with bags of cat litter. And they, dump the cat, they dump the cat litter on the floor. Come on. And, they, and they squeegee the cat litter around, right? And I go out and I go, no, we, we can't. We still can't play. It's still slick under, like we can't go. So now uh -huh. I'm starting to panic too. Because now, you know. We don't, we don't, I don't speak Spanish. We don't any, we don't, we really understand Spanish. We don't know what they're saying, what's going on. There's announcements and the crowd is getting tense, right? Sure. So I say to Peter, take the kids to the locker room. I'll stay. And then when we're ready, I'll come and get you. So now I stay. So now they're, you know, they've squeegeed, they've, they've cat, cat littered. littered, nothing's worked. So we're waiting and waiting and waiting. And all of a sudden, and this is absolutely true. Four guys walk in with two two-liter bottles of Coke each. They take, they open the Coke, they dump the Coke all over the floor, 
They put more cat litter down on top of the Coke and they squeegee all that up. And now the floor is sticky, right? Like your foot sticking to it. And, and it's still got cat litter on it. And so now when you're, so now they say, okay, now we, now we can play. So now it's like eight o'clock and I say, okay. And we bring the guys back and now the guys, you know, and so it's an hour late and you know, these are young guys and know what's going on. Most of them, it's their first international trip and you know, the floor is covered in Coke and it's sticky. And you take one step off the floor, you're sliding and the ball is covered with Coke and cat litter, but we play and we play the game and you know, um, we didn't play well, but I, you know, but it was a, but it was a learning experience for everyone. I was going to say at this point, you're but like, it, it's just survival, yeah. right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was crazy. And we played the whole tour and some other bizarre stuff happens on that tour. We get a bunch of stuff stolen on a flight where they go, go through our bags and kids lose runners and we lose uniforms. And, but you know, we survive it. We end up, we come, go home, we train, we go to Spain and there's some interesting stuff happens there, but that's enough of that story. So that's a that's the kind of crazy stuff that would never yeah. happen here, right? But right. that happens. So two years later, Peter and I now we go on another, we go back to Mexico again. And so we go down, and this is a pretty good team. We've got a we've got a pretty good squad this time. I think Kwiatkowski came down from the national team and was with us, Randy Knorr, uh Richie, Richie Anderson, mm. Nick McGlisco. Like we weren't great, but we were pretty good. And 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 so we go over and we're in uh we're 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 in Mexico again. So we play the first game we're playing there as student team. And we just put the boots to them. Like it's boom, like bang. Like we beat them by 20 plus. Like not. And on the trip, we're supposed to play them and a senior men's team. And then there's the possibility we'll play the Mexican national team in the last game. So the second day we show up for the game and the Mexican national team is there. Who's not who we're supposed to be playing. So all of a sudden we're playing the Mexican national team who just come back from the Central American championships where they've got silver. So now we're playing these guys with, with our team. You know, we play amazing mm. and we end up, we lose by two, I think, in the end, in a, in a really hard fought game. So now, okay, so now the third game, we're playing outside of town, I think in Pueblo. So we got to go by bus. So we're on a bus and the bus keeps having problems and he's pulling over and he's doing stuff. And then the bus driver comes back on and we drive, and we stop and he pulls over. And this happens two or three times. And finally the bus stops, he gets off, does some stuff. And our interpreter comes on and says, yeah, we've got a problem. Uh, we don't know what we're going to do. We're going to we'll find alternate transport to get to the game. We're okay. So on this trip, we had 11 players. Me and Campbell, 13. Jamie Lockheed to our manager, 14. Sam Gibbert, trainer, 15. And, you know, so, you know, we're there. And we're sitting on the bus and we're waiting and waiting. And it's already game time. And we're still sitting on the bus. And we're probably a half hour from Pueblo or wherever we're going to get to the game. And the game, you know, so we're sitting and waiting. And finally, the guy comes on. So transport's here so we're like oh great so we get off the bus and we go to get on and we take our gear and we go to get on and sitting there is a dodge caravan right a white dodge caravan i can still picture one of them one one dodge caravan and it's got two seats at the front and there's nothing else in it and like we got nate darn camp yeah yeah yeah. he's a seven footer right yeah yeah yeah. so we load we load 11 players 
two coaches, 13, our manager, 14, our trainer, 15, all our gear, the translator, 16, the, the two people driving the van, take the two seats at the front, I'm literally sitting between the two seats. I can look out, I can see the road through the rust and the holes oh, no. in the bottom of the van. Oh, so, no. so there's, there's, I think, what did I say? 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 15 of us, the translator 16, the two people driving is 18. And then the bag with the live chickens, I think that gets us to 20. So now <laughs> there's 20 of us, including the chickens in this van. And we drive to the game, we get to the game, like an hour now it's like an hour past. It turns out this is just a couple driving down the road with their chickens going to market or something. The guy flags them down, and that's how we get to the game. I'm, and that's oh not a lie. He must have paid him some money, and they drove yeah. this team. So the whole team in the back of a Dodge Caravan, right? All of us, <laughs> 20 of us with the chickens. So we get to the gym, and um, and the team we're supposed to play isn't there again. It's Now it's, a, it's back to being the student team because we were supposed to play the pro team. Okay. So now it's a student team. And we get to the gym. No score clock, no 30-second clocks. And it's one of those weird gyms where the scores table is actually on the end and the benches are on the side. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. Like with so small and so tight yeah. that they can't even put the scores table on the sideline. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? So the guys have to run to the end to get to the to sub, sub in. in. Yeah. So, but there's no 30-second clock, no game clock, no scoreboard, right? So, so we're doing our best to try to keep track of the score and the time and the oh game goes God. on and we're up and we're, we're doing okay. But, you know, and, and we've arrived at the game in a caravan. So we're playing and now it gets to be what would be the end of the game-ish. You know, like two, they sort of tell us there's two or three minutes left and we're up. And the Mexicans- They sort of tell of, us there's two or yeah, three minutes yeah, left. Because <laughs> they, never, they never really give us the exact yeah. time, right? Yeah. Mexicans make a run. They get it close. I think we're up one because I could sort of keep, you know, we're keeping track of the score. They come down, we, you know, we, 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 they come down, we stop them, we're up one, we come down, there's probably two minutes left. We get to the front court, make a pass, reversal, referee blows a whistle. We're like, okay, he goes, 30 second violation, because it's still the 30 second clock. We're like, what? Like, how could there be a 30 second violation when there's no clock? And you, mm -hmm. you never told us there was 10 seconds, like nothing, right? Yeah. No, nope, turnover. So now the Mexico has the ball, they come down, guy hits a shot, bang. Referees blow the whistle, game over, and they run out. So as soon as they got ahead, it was the first time in the game they'd had the lead. They got the lead, they blew the whistle, they ran out of the gym, game's over. On a bogus 30-second violation, and now there's probably a minute and a half left on the clock. They don't care. And I'm just like, but that's the kind of stuff that happens when you're out of this country. I mean, so not only do we have the great van ride, we get, you know, Absolutely done in by the referee. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was, so those are a couple examples of what can happen when you know you're out of Canada or you're U.S. So when they do run out, the refs, yeah, yeah. Are, are you actually like, oh well, this is what happens? Or are you like losing your mind? Are you somewhere well, in between? Losing, yeah, losing your mind, but at the same time, what are you going to do? And you got to look yeah. after the guys. Right? Yeah, you got to get out of here too. Yeah, and, and you got to look after the kids because they're the most important part of that situation. And it's a it's a lesson for them to understand what it's going to be like because a lot of these guys have aspirations of playing pro. And yeah. when you get you get out of some, you know, what we're used to, it it's a different world. Mm -hmm. It's a real different world. <laughs> but anyways, enough of that. And then you know, the big year, two thousand and four. I'm head coaching. I got to work with me. Uh, Greg Francis is my other assistant, and 
we play the qualifier in Halifax. We qualify for the world juniors, first Canadian age group team, male or female to ever qualify for a world championship. Pretty unbelievable experience. Um, we didn't play as well as what we hoped. That was an interesting group. We'd had those kids. This is sort of the third year. We had, a, you know, the majority of them, uh, you know, Levon would have been our guy for the whole time. Kingsley Costain, Tristan Blackwood, uh, Sean Dennison, Shane James, Majak Koo. Majak actually got into a fight the game before the event. We played the Americans at St. John, New Brunswick with uh, Adam Morrison, who had been the big star at Gonzaga. And yeah. Majak and him had a fight with about five seconds left in the game when the Americans were kicking the snot out of us. Anyways, we played them in the, in the crossover game uh, in the middle round and got into a huge brawl again, big kerfuffle where I had words with uh, with uh, the American staff. That was sort of one of my, I'll tell you that story another time. It's pretty good. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we end up qualifying and we go to the Worlds the next year and uh, you know, we you know we we have the majority of those guys are with us. We, Andy Routens joins us. Uh, Aaron Dornicamp, who's you know still playing and, and unbelievably well in the Spanish league to this day. Andy ended up going to the Knicks after that. Levon was still our guy. Tristan Kingsley, I think that was a pretty good group. Uh, Gary Gallimore, who played at X, yep. was our captain. Uh, we had Gary for the you know the whole four years. I'd actually threatened to send him home from Venezuela the first year and went from sending Gary home the first year to him being my captain, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, at the world championship. And, uh, yeah. And it was amazing. We, we went there, we had a great summer. Uh, we played in the, the first, I think there was the first Jack Donahue invitational where we'd won. We'd beat Australia. who were defending world champions. We'd beat Italy there, uh, and Japan. We played really well, go to the worlds. We just shipped the bed and, and we were awful. Uh, in the end, we have to beat Israel to qualify to get into the medal round, and we did. Iran was supposed to be in our group, but they didn't come because they wouldn't play because Israel was there. So we got the win versus Iran as well. I mean, everybody got the win versus Iran, but <laughs> we got we got through. And uh, and our matchup is the Americans, and we're playing the U.S. And like I don't know about you, but I've never coached a game in my life when I didn't think we were going to win. It didn't matter the situation, you know, and sure. to that point, you know, we'd never beaten the Americans and, you know, Canada had never beaten the Americans in a FIBA event, head to head national team versus national team, any gender, any age to that point ever. Like we'd beaten them at the world university games with Jack had that great team with Jay and they won against Barkley and all those guys, which was a pretty good team, but that was a university team versus our national team. Like, you know, sure. yeah. so, you know, Head to head, we'd never won. And uh, so we're playing them. And Phil Martelli is the head coach, longtime, you know, NCAA great coach. JJ Reddick was the big star. Rajon Ronda was a, that team. I mean, you know, there was a period for 10 years where I saw basically every guy. Major star. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'd seen them all, right? Including, I mean, we, I mean, we, I, I, like I told you, I talked too much. I'll, I'll, I'll be no, fast. no, this is great. When we played, who stands China out H the most? Let me pause you. Who stood out the most? Kenyon Martin was the best age oh, yeah. kid I ever saw before he broke his leg. Yeah. He was unbelievable. We played him in yeah. Spain. He was unbelievable. And then he broke his leg. He was never the player. He was still pretty yeah, the player. For sure. He was, he was the best I'd ever seen. You know, we and you know, on this and that group, we'd seen like Chris Paul and and um uh, who else? That 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 was an pretty that age group that we played. 
Carmelo Anthony was on that age group team that we saw. So they, they were, you know, there's some real good players. We played China in China in the quarterfinals to go to the, to go to the medal to go to the medal games in China with Nora and those guys with Rich, with Richie and Nick. And China started Meng Petir, Wang Jiji, and Yao Ming. They went seven six, seven two, seven foot up front. All three guys played in the NBA. Two of them had already played in the NBA when we played them, even yeah. though they're still university students. And yeah. our biggest guy was Richie and Nick were like six eight. Yeah. We're playing those guys. And we were tied with under two minutes to go, maybe maybe about a minute and change. And Randy hit an unbelievable shot to put us up three, a long three ball. And during the, the ruckus and the commotion, the the, the 30 second clock went off. And the Swedish referee, I'll never forget this to this day, you know, he didn't want to make a call. And he went over to the scores table and he asked the Chinese minor official if the shot was before or after the 30-second clock went off. And the guy said after, and there was no way it was after. But they wiped off our baskets. So instead oh. of being up three, we're down three. They come down the front court, and Wang Jiji hits a three in the corner, puts them up three. We come down, miss. And Wang came back and hit a second one back to back. We lose by six. And if Randy's shot goes in, I'm convinced we beat China in China. And with that, you know, with three NBA guys on that roster. And uh, anyway, so that was a tough one. So back to playing the Americans. We're playing the Americans. And we, we, we're we playing great. But if we do any sort of ball screen action, they're doubling us. And, and Tristan and Kingsley are struggling. So we I put in this action... And we, we ran the ball screen where the where Levon would face the rim instead of facing the ball, right? So he was he was facing the rim, and we, it was a downhill ball screen straight to the rim. And the Americans had never seen it, and they didn't know what to do, and they didn't know how to guard it. And we got all kinds of stuff off it, and and it just allowed it, it took their pressure off us. So it allowed mm-hmm. Kingsley and and, uh, and Tristan to initiate offense, which was huge. So when we ran that kind of stuff. I mean, to the point where I think at one time, Tristan came off the high ball, Levon's facing the rim, he comes off like this. You, people can't see it, but I'm telling you. And yeah. Levon sprints straight to the rim because the defender step, his defender steps out to guard Tristan. Mm-hmm. And Tristan bounces the ball between Levon's legs going forward and Levon catches it, goes down the lane and dunks it, right? And I mean, Levon was unbelievable. So yeah. at halftime, we're, we're up and Levon has 20. And, and O'Rourke says to me, you know, maybe we got a shot here. And I said, well, if Levon can get 20 in the second half, we're probably good, right? But I mean, yeah. you know, anyway, we come what, are the, the what are the chances, right? right? Yeah, yeah. Come on, the second half, Levon gets 20, right? We got to go to overtime, though. We don't even do it. And I said before the game to the immediate, asked me how we could win. And I said, if we play a perfect 40 minutes, and then after the game, I said, ESPN, South America, or whatever. And I said to them, well, I was wrong. We have to play a perfect 45 minutes. And, uh, but we did, we played a perfect 45 minutes and, uh, they had three shots. We were up at the end and they had three shots at the buzzer and two tips. And in the end, they couldn't get it to go. And, and, uh, we held on to beat them and it was, you know, like unbelievable. And, uh, I mean, I, when I got home and I mean, you probably won't want me to say it, but it, it, coach Shields wrote me a letter about what we had done and what we had accomplished. And it was one of the most meaningful things for me. I mean, I came from Bruce and Bruce and Shields certainly weren't close, but I'll tell mm-hmm. you, there's nobody who meant, I mean, Bruce, you know, is my guy, but I mean, 
Coach Shields is is the guy, right? Mm-hmm. Like in, in Canadian basketball, that meant more to me than anything else, I think. And uh, I still have that letter to this day. And awesome. um, and I got a pendant on the wall with the game. The Americans, I can show you. The fans, people on the on the cast won't be able to tell, but I'll show you. I've got the banner that. Uh, there it is. There it is. Oh, but the score. Yeah, everything. And, and it says USA basketball too. Awesome. I love it. So, <laughs> That's the one that they exchanged with you in the game. Oh, yeah. Game. Yeah. Pennant. So O'Rourke wrote that stuff on for me, and I've had it in my office wall ever since. And, uh, yeah, so we beat them. And then the next day we had to play Italy, and we beat Italy earlier in the summer. And, I mean, we had a hangover, and not an actual physical, physical alcohol hangover, just yeah. a mental hangover. For and sure. we lost to Italy, and then we had to play Australia for the bronze medal, and we'd beaten Australia twice. They'd beaten us at the tournament. And we played them and they're defending world champions and uh, we beat them and got the bronze medal. And I'll tell you, it was, uh, I mean, you know, as a coach, what more do you want? Right. And, you know, bronze medal at the world championships, first medal. I mean, you know, it's braggy, but Canada hadn't won a medal on the men's side on a FIBA sanctioned event since the 36 Olympics. So it was the second medal ever for Canada. And, uh, you know, was it lucky? And maybe it was lucky, but I'll tell you what, that group, we'd had the core of that group together for four years. They were a great group of guys. And you think uh, that paid off in the end? A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, and it's funny, like my relationship with Levon was like so strong and Tristan had been with us and Kingsley and uh, Kevin Francis, Majak Koo, Gary Gallimore. Those guys have been with us a long time and we've been through the wars together. We've played a lot of games and then, you know, guys like Andy and, and Cespedes and uh, Vlad Kuchan. And, uh, you know, it was, I was sad that Sean Dennison didn't come that last summer because Sean had been with us all the way through. And then mm-hmm. he played he played at Santa Barbara, I think, a BC guy. And, and he, didn't, yep. but he didn't make it last summer. But, yeah, it was great, you know. But, yeah, what an accomplishment. And that was it for me. Like, I was done. Um, I coached at the Maccabea Games once in 2018. 13 after did that, but that was the end of my coaching for the national team. And what a way to go out. Right. Like, yeah, I couldn't. Is, was that by choice? Was it a, were they going a different direction? You just were like, I'm it's a grind, right? I mean, when you're yeah. committed to coaching and your season is September till March, hopefully. Yeah. Right. I, yeah. And then what do you give yourself a few weeks? Like, I mean, you're yeah. still finishing off. You still got to recruit in April and May and June, right. You give yourself, you know, three, four weeks and then you're back at it. But then those three, four weeks are, well, I, mean, I mean, doing amazing things, I, but you're 12 I months. Couple, I had a couple some couple summers where I was gone from home for more than 60 days, right? Where we were on the road for 60 days in the summer. So two months gone. That's insane. Right? And, yeah. you know, the shortest one I think I ever did was four weeks. But most mm-hmm. of those summers, some of those, most of those summers were five, six, seven, eight weeks. And then, like I said, I had the two 60 days where I was gone for 60 straight days. You know, that's, that's part living out of one bag, right? Yeah. Only took one bag on the road. Yeah. I remember we're, again, I talked way too much. We're in Melbourne, Australia. Mm-hmm. And we've been on the road for, I don't know, weeks, right? Cause we've been in Hamilton and camp and then we went to Australia. We got a day off in Australia and I, it was the first day I hadn't worn something with a Nike swoosh on it for, <laughs> for like five weeks. It was a Nike free day. It was my first day without a swoosh. I felt pretty good, you know, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I had such an amazing career and such great opportunity, you know, starting with, you know, the opportunities that Jack gave me as a little kid to Jack giving me as a, as a, a young coach to coach shields, you know, all the stuff that he did in high performance and all the exposure that so many 
youth sports or CIS or, or CIU's coaches got then, you know, that just helped promote the game, you know, support from Olenek, being Campbell's caddy for a while, and then getting the opportunity myself to be a head coach. I mean, I couldn't ask for anything more, you know, you know from this game. That's awesome. Love it. If you're a basketball player out there in the lower mainland, or uh, BC in general, and you're looking for somewhere to play, we have a proud sponsor, and that is PGC Hoops. You can find them at pgchoops.ca. And the thing that makes them unique and that we're proud to sponsor them and then be a sponsor of us is it's a true nonprofit basketball organization found in the east side of Vancouver. The mission is cost-effective elite basketball for all. Find the website, take a look, register your kids, register yourself, look for the programs. And if you have any questions, reach out to me and we can contact you with the right people. This is a good program for the right reasons. We appreciate you, PGC Basketball. So much like much like Canada, yeah. you kind of know what's right, my time's kind of come. Yeah. Was it the opportunity at Winnipeg just too good? Why did the decision to leave Lethbridge? Did you feel like you wanted something fresh? And then um, transitioning to an athletic director role from there, which is pretty cool, yeah. right? So, yeah. yeah. Well, I'll be quick. My, my mom was still alive. Yeah, right. I grew up in Winnipeg. Oh, okay. Uh, I had the opportunity to come home. And I and yeah. there was part, and you know what? I was getting older hmm. and the travel, like the travel in Lethbridge was grueling, right? A lot more bus. You couldn't even fly out like we were taking the bus to Calgary to get on a plane to go to Vancouver, right? Mm-hmm. The idea that in Winnipeg, I'd have two of my road games would be at Manitoba. So it's, I'd come out of the driveway, I'm turning right instead of turning left. Yeah. You know? yeah so yeah. the travel was much less. And, and that was a bonus as well. I mean, I took a big pay cut to come, but mm. money wasn't the motivator, the motor. And it was a good opportunity. And this is where I grew up, right? Yeah. To come back, it was amazing. And then now that I'm AD, like it's just, you know, and my career is coming to an end, and it's pretty awesome that I've had this opportunity. And the university's had confidence with me. I'm really lucky that I've had great, you know, great coaches. I mean, my, you know, that's fantastic. I mean, on the basketball side, obviously, Michael and I are really close. I've worked with, you know, Tanya McKay, who for a long time, who was, um, you know, a great friend. So, yeah, and my volleyball, soccer, all my coaches, all my people, all my staff, it's been a great it's been a great way to finish a career, you know? And when I was a kid, you sort of dream that, you know, mm-hmm. you're going to coach for so long and then you move into administration, but is it real? And then it actually happened to me and, you know, yeah, no, it's good. I can't, Mitch, I got, you know, Hey, would I love to win a national championship? Yeah, I would love to win a national championship. Would I love to win 20 national championships like Dave Smart? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. you know, or what accomplish what other people have done, but, you know, but in the end, I wouldn't trade a second of it. You know, and uh, it's it's been an amazing run, and and like you and I, like we've talked about earlier, like there's all those great basketball experiences, and there's all the great experience with people, and you put the two of them together, and it's a life lived. There you go, man. Church on a Monday, I love it. Um, it is true though, right? Like when when we're talking about Canada West basketball, like there's it's so spread out. Like when you're in Lethbridge, I mean, at least say you're UBC, you know, you get the ferry. But it's it's a grind, right? You're leaving on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, back to back, and they change it a little bit depending where you are. You got to travel a little bit. He made to go to Regina to Sask or Sask to Regina. 
back Sunday, no. either a morning flight or afternoon. So, and then, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes you're getting off the bus at 5 a.m. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. that kind of stuff is not wonderful. Right. That's no. exciting. People think it's a vacation. Um, mm-hmm. you know, even getting to Vancouver for the weekend, but like for the players, like it's not, it's literally no. get on the plane, get to the hotel, wake up in the morning, go to shoot, Shooter. come yeah. back, get something to eat, go to the game, go back to the hotel, repeat, maybe go on Saturday night, fly home. Like that's, yeah. you know, as a coach, sometimes I got to go out and walk around and see some things, but yeah. you know, they don't, you yeah. know, it's, it, it's not a, it's not wonderful. Hopefully, I mean, hopefully play well enough. Coach might give you a Monday off or at least a shooting yeah, practice that, you know, yeah. but really like you got to build for scout cause you're leaving Thursday. Right. And Thursday's yeah. practice is going to be fairly light. Like it's, there's yeah. not a lot of time. It's a, it's yeah, no, that's good reflection. Yeah. It's hard. It's a hard, it's, it's a hard life for most people. You know, like the, the coaches are working, like they barely get a day off from, mm-hmm. you know, September and some of them, you know, till March. And mm-hmm. it, it, it's, it's crazy. And, and, we're you know, talking... most, and when most universities shut down for Christmas, that's your training. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, we used to practice on Christmas Eve. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Same here. Like I have to tell my wife every, I mean, she knows now, but she still yeah. is going to needle me about it. I'm like, we just started going, we can't take two weeks off for Christmas. Yeah. Like yeah. we can take four or five. Yeah. And if some kids go away for Christmas, but well, that's their choice. But like, what am I going to do? We get, we can't just, you know, rebuild. So, and then, yeah. And, and being in a role too, where I think maybe your coaches that you work with now, you have a good perspective on the understanding of, you know, you're in a lot of situations, you're pinching pennies, right? It's Canadian U sport, and but you've lived it and you've had to be behind the scenes as a coach and know what that's like. And I think that experience probably, Although maybe that soccer coach or Mikey walks out pissed, like he's being, he's being a tightwad, but you know, at least they know the next day when they wake up, they're like, he's, he's lived this. So he's, he's coming from experience because that also is a, is a big factor too, right? Is finding a way to keep everybody happy, but also knowing that there's, is a limit to, uh, to what we can do. Yeah. How's that been for you from, from that side of the things when you stepped over there? Yeah. It's been good. And I mean, part of it is like their perspective is so narrow and so mm-hmm. focused right and it should be that's what you want yeah. and yeah. my job is not to be narrow focused it's to be broad focused right so i try to be that and, and I, I i never try to say to them i understand what you're going through or i understand you know because but i do because mm-hmm. i've lived your job to an extent and it may not have been in this exact situation sure. but i've probably been in something really close so I, and i think they appreciate that at least mm-hmm. you know yeah, i live their life I've lived their life. Yeah. Good. Awesome, man. You ready to do some fun questions and we'll sure, get you on your way. I, sorry. I went a little long. I apologize. I used to, you, I don't, you know, I may not listen to Emmy's episode recently, but did you see how long that one is? It's like two forty. No. So don't even worry. <laughs> not even, yeah, you're not even, <laughs> okay. You're not even good. hovering close. Yeah. Okay. Good. You're, you're way, if, if me and Barnes and uh, Mikey got, a little group message going and put some money on the over under, you'd be way under right now. So it's <laughs> like the national anthem at the Super Bowl. Yeah. That's good. Okay. Music. Yeah. Concert. Artists can, artists can be dead or alive. Doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. You take whoever you want. Yeah. Best seat in the house. Who are we going yeah. to? And if you got a couple. I mean, you know, there's a, there's a great concert in the, like the late seventies at the, 
100 Club in London where the Sex Pistols and the Clash played. I'm a new mm. wave punk guy, and that's hey. where my roots are. So nice. that's, where I would, that's where I would be. You know, uh, I never saw either of those bands live, and it would have been, you know, uh, that would have been the one for me. Love it. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Did you get to see them at all? Like, have you seen this? Or I never, you're saying, like, I did, if. Okay. I, I would love to see those. I mean, I saw lots and lots of bands, and I'm one of those guys. Like, I travel for music, right? Like, I go yeah. Oh, yeah. places to see bands because I love music that much. But those are two bands I never got the chance to see, and I would love to see either of them. Nice. Who's yeah. one that you did see that you're like, I'd do a repeat of that, or you maybe you have well, repeated? Lots, be lots. But I mean, I, one time I saw, uh, on one in, in about a four-day span, I saw the Specials and Madness play one in Glasgow and one in London. And mm-hmm. that was pretty crazy. Yeah. Wow. You know, a little ska. It was pretty good. Wow. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Okay. So this might be a tough one for you. Yeah. You're going to be the coach. Yeah. Pick five guys. But okay. We're on the- so I'm coaching. See, my original thought was I could be, I could be player coach. Cause I could probably get on the okay. floor for two or three minutes. And I was okay. going to swap with, I was going to swap with Barnaby. So Barnaby and I would be co-coach and we both get to play. And the Sorry. four guys, four guys would be Oscar Robertson, Jerry West, Julia Serving, and Chamberlain. And I figured I could be on the floor for two or three minutes without, because they wouldn't guard me. So mm-hmm. I probably have enough space that I could either get a shot off or make a pass. Can knock down a 12 footer, maybe. Uh, yeah, but those, yeah, short those, corner. <laughs> those, those are my, like, Chamberlain yeah. was my, I think, is the best. Irving was my favorite player when I was a kid. And Oscar Robertson and Jerry West, how can you go wrong with those two? Ooh. Would Barnes pass any of them though? <laughs> Would he get that? He'd, he'd drive and take that Euro hop and get the yeah. middle of the lane, you know? <laughs> Wilt be like, do you know who I am, man? Just throw it in here. Like, and, 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 it, and it would be the other way where Barnes would be like, Wilt, do you know who I am? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Uh, books or movies? I'm a, I mean, I love both, but I'm a real okay. book guy. Okay. Yeah, I do a lot of, I do, uh, I mean, I love the sort of the mystery detective sort of thing. So like Anne Cleves with who does the Shetland stuff and Michael Conley, Ian Rankin, uh, you know, those are guys that this new a guy started reading out John Sanford. who's like, he's a, he writes about Virgil Flowers and uh, uh, Davenport, Lucas Davenport, cops mm-hmm. in Minneapolis. So it's really cool because I like it because. I know the streets and they're talking about, you know, being in downtown Minneapolis. It's pretty cool. He's a real good writer. If you like that genre, check him out. John Sanford. He's good. Cool. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. And I, oh, I just read another book you might like yeah. called uh, the Bar- Barcelona complex. And it's all about the building and how Barcelona football club grew and then how they've fallen in hard times. Yeah. And it's, and it's a lot of, it's about Messi and how they built the club around him. Yeah. And then how he broke the club financially it's a really good it's a brand new book wow. it goes right up into covid times Jan coopers i think he's a dutch guy really really interesting book god they pay those guys so much hey yeah it's crazy, it's crazy. Yeah. It's Messi was making 200 million a year it's wild yeah wild yeah um on macaroni ketchup on nothing ketchup is disgusting fries no nothing ketchup the world would be a better place without ketchup Oh, 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 have you had any run-ins with or across Paul Eberhardt at all? Do you know I, Eberhardt? I know Paul, I know Paul yeah. Eberhardt. Yeah. He's the most anti-ketchup on a hot dog guy. If I, like, 
I so usually when I'm having a hot dog, I take a nice yeah. photo, and he just is like, "You are a disgusting human being." So uh, the I, world would be a better place without ketchup. Wow, yeah. fair. Okay, Thanks, hey, it's buddy. your palate. It's your palate, yeah. man. Uh, <laughs> who have been some of the most important people in your life? You've touched on a lot of people, but uh, yeah, I mean, Bruce obviously impacted my life. Right, he changed it. Uh, I wouldn't be where I am today. I wouldn't be doing. I wouldn't have had the career I've had without him. I don't know what he saw in me, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, he changed my world, right? My family, you know, my mom and dad, my brothers who were so influential and, in, in, you know, who I am. So those are the people. And then I had so many great coaches, right, growing mm-hmm. up and, and teachers, you know, Mr. Kaniski, Mr. Gartner, uh, you know, Al Kinley, people who, who were impactful, and shaped me and made me want to get involved in sport and coaching coach Donahue, you know, like all those people who really shaped me. And I mean, it's funny that they're all sort of coaches, right? So yeah, it's great. Isn't it? It's funny though. Hey, like sometimes in the teaching coaching world, like you got to step back and it's like, do these kids even see who they are and what they can be? Like you're saying, right. He, he saw something in me that I didn't even see yet. Right. And look what came from that, you know? And if he never took that and said, Hey, can you go scout it? Go scout the Bobcats for the, me this weekend. Who knows what happens, right? It's funny how right. yeah. Yeah, you just need those people yeah. in your corner. Yeah. Yeah. Change my, change my world. Amazing. Okay. Yeah. So the Bombers are about to lose to the Lions on uh, Friday night. <laughs> Thursday. Um, Thursday night. Uh, you sit down on the couch. Is there a bag of chips that you're grabbing to watch the game? Or are we, I mean, we're yeah. anti ketchup, so that's anti sodium. Like, what, so are we. Well, we like chips. We like okay. old, Dutch, old Dutch salt and vinegar would be my go-to. Okay. But but a new one, interesting that I discovered during the COVID times, mm-hmm. Canadian Tire has a brand of snack food that they call Frank's or Frank. Yeah. And they do, they do a all-dressed ripple that is amazing. And it's so good. And, I, and the thing is, and maybe you can help me in this one, why mm-hmm. are ripple chips better than plain chips? Because they shouldn't be, but they just are. They just are. I can't help you there. I can't help you. Yeah. I, I, if I had a choice between any chip that was ripple or non-ripple, I'm always going ripple. Yeah. Now you do a non-ripple may get like you may have an extra crunch, but it's still all the ripples better. Yeah. I can't believe this guy just said Canadian Tire. I've had them. They all dress they're legit. Yeah. Are they not good? They're legit. Yeah. They are it's legit. Crazy. It's well crazy. Yeah. 114 episodes. You're the first one to reference. Canadian tire chips. I'm not sure what that says, but <laughs> it says something, my man. <laughs> uh, okay. Last one. Yeah. Uh, who's out there? You know, I, I feel like we've done a good job. We've made it, yeah. you know, all the way out East. We've represented yeah. kind of Ontario, Quebec, yeah. but there's, you know, and I've reached out to a few people. I'm trying to get Ryan yeah. Lear, right. Right. Uh, there, you know, I tried to get spag red. Uh, right. He just wasn't up for it, but there is, these flat planes where, yeah. you know, is there someone out there, a couple people that you could uh, connect us and get on the show that, I, that would have a good I think story Peter as well. Campbell, Peter Campbell would be one, right? Okay. Um, Peter had an amazing career, right? Laurier, Laurentian, national team, men, women, world championships. You know, I spent five summers with him on national team at different times. I mean, he's a, he's a special guy and, and he's funny and he's interesting. So he awesome. would be well worth having. Right. And okay. on top of that, two of his sons, like his actual sons, were are univer- were university basketball coaches. 
Crazy. Which is also pretty incredible. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. You can make that happen. Choice. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll, I could reach out to Peter for you. Okay. The second one you may want to think, and, and this one came to me the other night, is Trix Baker. So Trix was the women's coach at Lethbridge when I got there. Okay. And like Trix was an all-Canadian. Trix coached university. Chris, Trix won a national championship. Trix coached national team. Trix's brother played for me at, at Lethbridge. Her husband was an all-Canadian her son was an all Canadian, played for Barnes. Jordan Baker now coaches in the CBL. Yeah, yeah. No, and, he's I know and he's coaching in uh, Edmonton. So she would be an interesting guest. I mean, I don't know if she'd be up for it, but yeah. like an interesting sort of span and a, and a look at uh, the game and the women's game, I think would be pretty fascinating. Awesome. It's actually crazy how many. Um like families lineage wise there are that are out there right like i don't yeah. know these things and you meet yeah. people and you're like oh like yeah. i wouldn't have known that was jordan baker's mom you know like it's like yeah yeah it's crazy okay yeah. awesome i love it this is great man um you know uh, being at brand in 2000 2001 knowing that mikey's under your guidance like super cool and it's awesome how the game brings so many connections obviously you got larkins too right who we've had yeah. on the pod sheepishly yeah. Yeah, although he did well, but just sort of so many ties. So I really appreciate you being with us. Any sort of last thoughts, ideas, reflections before we uh, let you go and and hope you have a great rest of your summer before things start to, I'm guessing what soccer or something starting to ramp up pretty quick here, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. They're, so they're you're ready next week, right? There you go. So any yeah. last thoughts? Well, I just want to thank you for giving me the opportunity. It's been amazing to, you know, to think about things and to mull some things over my head and, uh, you know, and, congratulations on the podcast like it's amazing mm. right and some of them you know i mean jay's coach shields don horwood's the story about driving was it a lime green something across yeah. from Newfoundland? like yeah. just there's been so many great things you know and then getting to hear barnaby obviously and getting to hear levon and getting to hear um grange and those people who've been really a big part of my life um and all those people have been a part of my life and it, it's it's yeah. it's really cool and i mean Maybe for the average listener, they haven't had that direct contact, but you do an amazing job. And, and just mm -hmm. thanks so much. No worries. And just for the record, we have talked about getting you on Michael Grange. You don't have that much power. You just, <laughs> you just, the timing was right. The timing was right. Well, listen, I don't know how much longer you have kicking the can here at your AD job and, and what's your near future, but I wish you nothing but the best work-wise. And then when that day comes to, uh, to pack it in. I know you'll find a way to stay involved in something, but I hope you have your feet up at the lake lots and, and can enjoy uh, all the hours that you gave to the game and somehow come back to you and your family and just relax. So nothing but the best, man. Solid, solid human being. And thanks for being with us. Thanks so much for having me. No worries. Amazing episode. A great guy. We finally made it to the center of Canada here-ish. And uh, it was an absolute pleasure. Thanks to our sponsors, and we'll see you on the next one.